whole generation is growing up, but thinks of it now, has always known it, really, and people in their teens now have never known America except as a villain of the piece. And that upset me because I, I love the old place. I've been there every year since 1953. <laughs> and I, so I wanted to write something to, just to try and tilt the, the attitude a little bit the other way. Well, people would say that you were fooling yourselves when you thought that uh, it was a benign and happy place. No, I don't agree with you at all. I think it truly, of course, always had terrible flaws to it. And the time I'm thinking of, really, which was just after the, the Second World War, it was scarred by the whole business of racial segregation. That was the most unpleasant thing about America. But in general, it was a thoroughly decent country. Its democracy was a real democracy. Its attitudes were kindly attitudes. And, and when I, I think I said in the piece that I, I was introduced to Felix Frankfurt, you know, the great uh, Supreme Court Justice, and I said to him, really, this country seems in a bad way. I was thinking of McCarthy, who was then in his prime, and the whole awful business of segregation in the South. Said I, it's pretty awful, isn't it? And the old sage said to me, ah, oh, but America's like a pendulum. It swings. You wait, said he. You wait a few years' time, you'll find it swung from the hideous to the good. And it did, it really did. But McCarthyism was got rid of, and the segregation was ended miraculously, I think. And uh, as you say, you said perhaps we were fooling ourselves. We were genuinely were not fooling ourselves. And I'm sure that anybody of my age who knew America then will agree with me that it was as happy and as good a country as there. Not as they could be, of course not, but as they ever has been. Because some people would say that you perhaps have an overly benign, rose-coloured view of the, the British Empire in the same way. Not really. I, I write about the British Empire as an aesthetic phenomenon, you know. I, I didn't express judgments. It wasn't a judgmental book at all. Uh, my own feeling it was time the empire went, but I was sorry to see it go because uh, I liked the good parts of it, and I was sometimes thrilled by the bad parts of it, too. It was an excitement for me and a great, a terrific adventure. And I was glad to see the end of it, so that I could I like to write a book which has an ending. Unfortunately, <laughs> that did come to an end, didn't it? Just about the time when I published the book, which, which gave it a finality and a completeness that I aimed at anyway. But on the other side, whether we should be ashamed or not, I've never been in the business of trying to judge what people in another period were thinking or doing. It seems unfair to me, unless we can put ourselves miraculously into their minds and virtues and failings. It's unfair, really, to say that, uh, who, who can we say, Disraeli, for example, behaved in an arrogant way. It might not have seemed arrogant to people then or to him. What about nationalism? It's a sort of double-edged sword, isn't it? Yes, it is both sides of which I wield. <laughs> ferociously, because <laughs> on the one side, I'm a great Welsh nationalist and I'm very much for a Welsh republicanism. Uh, on the other hand, I'm a great European. Uh, and I, I'm a, I don't know what the word is, I'm a worldist. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to have the whole world. Obviously, you know, it's common sense, isn't it? Everybody would like to have a world with everybody was friends. But in the meantime, what I personally aim at is a, a, a sort of confederal Europe. I don't believe the British Isles is any longer a viable unit, really. It's the wrong size, and it's split amongst itself. But if it could be more absolutely a member of a federal Europe with a federal capital above the British government too, that would be fine for me, and I'd be happy with a, with a, 
a unit of Wales which was within that wider federation. What do you value in nationalism? Because isn't it inevitable that you, you get what you see in America, what you saw with the British Empire? What are the positive sides? How do you mean what you saw in America? Things going bad? I feel detached from that because my nationalism is applied to a nation of three million folk. We're not going to do much harm to anybody, I assure you. The nationalism about small powers is a nice thing, I think, on the whole. Patriotism, after all, if it's harmless. And that's why I think that uh, if these other powers are absorbed into something bigger, with, with separate loyalties united in one, actually, America itself isn't a bad advertisement for it, is it? I mean, it's, uh, the states are still very different to each other, and yet they are under a federal government and have been so successfully since the American Civil War. It hasn't done badly as a system. What about you, you, your Welsh nationalism? Did you, to an extent, choose, adopt Wales as, as, as a homeland? Well, half and half. I'm half English and half Welsh, you know. But my first loyalty has always been to Wales. And my children have gone Welsh, uh, like all Welsh people, really, have gone Welsh over the years. Uh, I, I didn't choose it exactly, no. It's, uh, it grew on me as, uh, as the years went by. And as the consciousness of Wales as a nation grew too, you know, when, when I was small, the idea of having a Welsh independent Wales was perfectly nonsensical and I never even thought of it really but in the successive 80 odd years it's certainly caught on in a big way until now we're not exactly independent but we are sort of half independent aren't we? We're getting there You never wanted to be cosmopolitan? Not much <laughs> No I don't think you did I rather agree with Evelyn Waugh who said that London had become a squalid cosmopolitan city <laughs> In my heart of hearts, I think that's still. That's strange, of course, because you're a great traveller. <laughs> that's true, but I like p places to be different, you know. I don't really like things to be mixed up. I like them to be separate. And do you think that's, uh, that's changing, that places are becoming more alike? Yes. Well, cities especially, aren't they? I, I, I've spent my life, as you know, writing about cities very largely. And I think I despair now of the city as a, as a unit. And I think a city has grown out of itself. It has become so squalid in, in all ways, not, not least looking out of your window, smog. <laughs> in every way, it's, it's got too big, too crowded, too noisy, too pleased with itself. So much so that even in, in Britain, if I'm driving around, it's not worth going into those towns. It used to be very charming. I just take the bypass of this one and clear out of it. What about tourism, world tourism? How do you feel about that? I don't think it's done all that much harm, you know, really. Perhaps on a local level, thinking of home, you know, it's, it's degraded things a bit. It, it means there's more sham attached to, to societies. That's, that Scots people, you know, are more overwhelmingly Scottish, aren't they? They, they wear their kilts in a more aggressive way than they used to, just because of tourism, because they need to show. But it's a sort of harmless thing. It brings a lot of prosperity to people. I detest it, but I think... It's okay, really. Does that apply to Wales as well? Yes, it does, I'm afraid. <laughs> yes. We're pretty awful with it too, you know. There are women in funny hat, witches' hats, that sort of thing. But it is pretty harmless. It has brought prosperity, I have to admit. It. The only thing it has done in Wales especially is that uh, because the country is so small and because tourism as an industry is largely in the hands of English people, that it has 
tainted society more than it would in a bigger place. You know, it affects us more because there's so few of us and we're so feeble. Mm. <laughs> Are you? I mean, <laughs> a little bit, yes, a little bit. Well, we're anxious to please, you know, always. And often that means that people come in and do horrible things and we say, oh, we, we will forgive you. It was so nice when you've been kind to us and you brought us money and brought us a job and so on and therefore it gets stuck that way. But that's... A, a national failing, and not a bad one either. Both people want to be kind to people. Would you not enjoy travelling so much if you didn't have such a strong home? I don't think I would, no. I, um, it's been a solace to me. I've always been homesick, as a matter of fact, so it's, it's a, another two-edged sword, you know, because uh, I've loved the feeling that I have the home base there always, but on the other hand, I get very homesick for it. Is there anywhere knew that you want to travel? You've been pretty much anywhere, anywhere that you haven't been on yes, your list? there is really. I never have been inside Tibet. And um, I was always planning to go to Laos before I died. And now I'm not sure that the, my health will stand up to the altitude, I'm afraid, so I may have to forego that one. But I'll see, or maybe I'll go there and die. It would be a bad plan, wouldn't it? <laughs> I always said I'd go there the day the Dalai Lama return to the, to the Patala Palace, you know, I'd be there. Maybe I will be. <laughs>